Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Oh, I love this gang. I love the people who are around the table today because I know that there is going to be no shortage of opinions. Um, so the, the panel has assembled, and let me say hi to uh, my friend and former colleague, now known as the Reverend Dr. Sherry DeNovo, former MPP, Minister at Trinity St. Paul's Center for Faith, Justice, and the Arts, and um, from Parktail High Park, I guess, still, Sherry, how are you? I'm, I'm very well, Peter, and aren't you glad that you're not at Queen's Park these days? Oh, I'm thrilled that I'm not at Queen's Park these days <laughs> and every day, but here we are doing the things that we do in real life. Carlene Nation, media strategist at One Nation PR in Toronto, former reporter, producer with CTV, old friend of mine. How you doing, Carlene? Happy to be here, Peter. Happy to be here. A great Friday. Uh, it is a great Friday. And Kim Wright, who uh, we've been on panels together and... Uh, on opposite sides of the table, well, I shouldn't say opposite, I've been the moderator a couple of times, and we've had a chance to meet a few times. Kim Wright is vice president at Hill and & Knowlton and uh, kind of represents the new Democratic side. Not that you don't, Sherry DeNovo, but hi, Kim. Hi, Peter. It's a great day for talk radio. Uh, well, you, you can say that. E- even It's the Oakley show. I don't use that expression. That is a trademark of his. I, I want to jump like right in. I feel like if I don't say it, Adrian Batra will uh, make sure I uh, have to say it three more times every time I appear. Well, so That's because Adrian Batra has become the matronly lady of, of talk radio and television and has a comment on everything, and I love her dearly. But let's let's get right in. Let's dive into this thing. <laughs> I began the show uh, at 4 o'clock. Some of you uh, may have been somewhere where you heard it, and uh, if you haven't, I'll summarize. Uh, I talked about this whole business of um, the sex ed curriculum being pulled back. Now, I'm a progressive conservative, no secret there. Uh, I liked a lot of what I heard in the throne speech, and uh, I surprised some people by saying yesterday that uh, I, I don't particularly like the idea of reintroducing what we were teaching kids back in 1998. Now, that's not to say that um, I don't think that uh, the 2015 curriculum needs some modification and had we wanted to modify it in time for the school year I think that there could have been an edit done on it rather than taking and throwing it out until we could write something new and going back to 1998 and I and I know where to start and it's with you Sherry go ahead. Uh, well, I couldn't agree with you more, Peter. Uh, in, in fact, 4,000 parents, 700 students, 2,400 educators, almost 170 organizations, including CAMH, took 10 years to write this curriculum. What are they going to do? Uh, this is about keeping our children safe in the era of the Internet. Uh, and, and yet we're being taken back to the last century. And it's by not people of faith. I want to make that very clear. I'm sitting here with a collar on. Um, it's from a, a religious fringe group who really seem to have the premier's ear. And that's unfortunate. So on Monday, I'm taking 200 signatures of United Church clergy, still the biggest Protestant denomination in Canada. 
Uh, I'm going to hand it to my friend. I still consider her a friend, Christine Elliott, and uh, and hopefully Doug himself, and uh, and say, you know, the vast majority of people in faith communities want our children to be educated. Well, you know, Carlene, uh, you're you're like me of the conservative side, and uh, you may have a different opinion on it. But here's here's where I'm coming from. In 1998, we predate 9/11. We predate uh, everybody having cell phones. In fact, the people who did 20 years ago were usually fairly wealthy people who uh, they talked on them when they used them. They didn't text. There was no texting, much less sexting. And uh, the World Wide Web was mostly how we uh, related to websites, which most people and companies didn't have. And now it's 20 years later, and that's the curriculum we're teaching. I think there's something wrong with the picture. Well, Doug Ford made it very clear on the campaign trail that the sex ed curriculum is going to be repealed and re, uh, repl- it's going to be repealed and replaced. Mm-hmm. Um, essentially, I agree with him. My biggest concern and many people's concern is that m- uh, many parents felt that they were locked out of this process. Uh, the deep concern is that they started the sex education in grade one. Um, there and and the the materials being introduced to children starting from grade one was uh, of concern to many parents. Well, let me stop you uh, there, so, Carly. I, mean, I think we all know that. We all know that. Yeah, and, but, and but that's let fine. me let, let me let me let me just finish this. The other big concern was that this sex ed curriculum was crafted by a convicted child pornographer. Okay, uh, I'm going to stop you there. Uh, that's not so, what this is about. My my question to you, Carlene, and I really need an answer, is not whether or not it should be recrafted, re- rewritten. I think we can agree that, yes, that yes. we need to consult. But what I want to know is the 1998 curriculum, the way to go in okay, the interim? Th- no, what I'm saying here is that, and Doug Ford has made it clear, they're going to look at this. They're going to go back and look and examine it. They're going to have consultations and do what should have been done in the beginning, which is to have more parental advice. At the end of the day, the parents' rights over their children is sacrosanct. You cannot have the state telling parents, this is what we're going to do, whether you like it or not, whether you want it or not. So, yes, I don't necessarily agree with going back to what we had, but in the interim, while they are uh, going over and analyzing what changes uh, they want made, it's they're, they're, they're putting the, the 1998 version there. Keep in mind, the 1998 version was taught up until 2016, so it's I, not I recognize that ancient. That. Okay, let me go to, to you, Kim. You've heard uh, both of those particular, uh, I'll call it sides, because I think they represent sides. Uh, and, and I think Carlene correctly brought up the fact that parents have a major say. Uh, my contention would be, in, in my travels through life, that as much as parents do have the final say of what their kids get, most parents don't take that responsibility seriously. I'm not trying to write off all parents. Some really do a good job. Most say there's a curriculum in the school. Let them do it. Go ahead, Kim. It's also about what kids know what they are taught, whether they're taught at home or kind of taught at home, or maybe 
not taught anything at home and you know the amount of times we see in cases oh i didn't realize my kids were sexting or sharing these things online those are some concerning things to me and i know that people get all flustered about kids being taught about the proper words for things and things like consent in the first grade and the second grade but let's take a look back at some of the history of things the 1998 curriculum was before the spotlight investigation on church abuse we are talking about a curriculum that was in place before Retea Parsons uh, ultimately took her own life because she was cyberbullied and was taken. There were pictures of her. All of these things need to be addressed. Words matter. The other part of this is about uh, understanding uh, gender identity, gender fluidity, how the fact that there are people who have two moms, two dads, and all sorts of other configurations of families. They need to have a voice in this. They have had a voice in this. And as much as everyone wants to say this was an election issue, changing and altering the curriculum was an election issue, repealing the current one without without putting anything currently in place that is, you know, post Y2K is something that matters. And I want to make sure that kids know about consent, what they're what they can say about their own space. And that that's what what scares me is you're going to have enough next generation of kids who think it's okay to cyber bully and oh, share those pictures. Complete, Peter, the good news is teachers are disagree. already rising up and teachers who care about the children in their classrooms will make sure that they get the information that they need. Uh, what uh, uh, the premier has done is really unleash a, a revolt uh, from uh, we've already got 54,000 and counting signatures on a lead now petition to keep the sex ed curriculum. Um, you've got uh, everyone speaking about that. And today at the 519, you had a woman talking about a little girl who was being abused by her parent, which does happen, and didn't have the proper names for her body parts. So the abuse continued a year or two longer than it needed to because she was saying her monkey hurt. Now, is this really keeping our children safe by not giving giving them the tools they need to describe when abuse happens. And it does start happening in grade one. We've had numerous uh, cases of that. So, again, uh, if we want to keep our children safe, we have to keep them educated and their parents, too. Okay. Carlene wanted a word in before we uh, take a break. Yeah, I strongly support educating children, educating young people about their rights, about their body parts, etc. I I strongly support all of that. But at the end of the day, um, we have got to have a curriculum that is age-appropriate, that we make sure that... uh, uh, we start off with something that we we educate children with the proper terms at at a, at an age where they they can understand it and it's not above their heads and of course with parental consent. Look, I I I fully I I was I was abused as a child uh, at at some point in my life, so I understand all of these concepts. So all I'm saying is. Uh, with parental rights in place and with this government working together with educators, with everybody, we can come up with something that is not over-sexualizing our children. I've got to stop you there before you jump in again because we've got to take a break. If you want to continue this discussion afterwards, we'll take it for another couple of minutes before we move on to subjects. But right now I've got to say this, so hold it, ladies. You can see if this is July the, uh, the 13th and we're having this spirit of the discussion on this. Wait until we get near Labor Day is all I got to say. 
with our uh, roundtable consisting today of Reverend Dr. Sherry DeNovo, uh, Carly Nation, and Kim Wright, and it's a spirited one, and understandably so, because I think it's uh, safe for me to summarize, ladies, that uh, this subject of uh, sex ed in schools, I think every one of you and I believe that uh, we need to give kids the tools that are required to uh, move forward in life and to uh, understand everything that's going on around them in that particular space. I think that what's at at disagreement, not just around this table, but um, out there, is how that gets done. Kim, you were going to make a point before we broke. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, we're talking about kids and having the words and people wanting to have consultation and involvement. And there was a quite extensive consultation on this, not to be an apologist for the previous government, but there was a lot of consultation What is troubling about the way that the government uh, has brought this in is a bit of a repeal. We're going back to 1998, back to the future, as it were, but not a plan of what this looks like. What does this consultation process look like? And it's, it's interesting. There's a few things on the legislative agenda of the Ford administration, and they still haven't talked about what those consultations look like other than we're going to consult what that consultation looks like, how do people engage, how do people have meaningful dialogue, that's going to be the hallmark of the challenge that this administration has, especially in the first 100 days. The the government just... They just started just a, a day or two ago. Give them a chance. But they've and announced them, everything from ripping up of contracts and firing well, and they hiring. They've, what they've they done going to do. It was their, they've done they've, lots of things. Ladies, ladies, one their, time, take campaign. the gloves off. They knew that. So my, my everybody point, knows that moving forward that Doug Ford was going to do. Everybody knew that. It's no big surprise. Okay, let's stop, and let's stop for a moment, because I think I'd like to use this as a way to segue right into another Doug Ford issue. Uh, In the same throne speech, there were words, and I'm going to uh, quote, that said that uh, there, there are going to be changes in terms of what we allow or create for a um a policing of society that uh, that are vested in this free police from onerous restrictions that treat those in uniform as subjects of suspicion now i don't know what that means but uh my if if i were to decode it i would say it means you probably should be looking for something akin to tavis you probably should be looking for something akin to carding you probably should be look looking for something like um some groups having their feelings hurt at the very least because they're going to put some teeth back in policing and put the handcuffs on the other guys. Now, I think that that's a fair interpretation. If it is the interpretation, is it a good thing to be doing? Let me start with you this time, uh, Kim. I think your assumptions are probably quite right, especially about a reintroduction uh, introduction of Tavis in some form or another. We live in, in, in frightening times. We saw what happened yesterday in downtown Toronto with the increased police presence. And how do you manage the communications of these things in an increasingly troubled well, time? Somebody better tell the cops on that one, but go ahead. <laughs> uh, I, d- I don't work, do work for the police at the moment, but, uh, you know, it's, uh, people have legitimate fears uh, about what's going on. And they also have some fears that are, you know, can be can be fear mongered. But we need to have a grown-up conversation about this. What does this look like? What does this mean? Are we reintroducing carding? 
do questions about civil liberties uh, certainly unfold? And again, this is one of these things that sound great in a throne speech, but ask an awful lot of questions about consultation, about process, about due process, and how do we move forward? Well, of course, we have to find that out. And, and uh, you know, I totally agree with social liberties, but I believe that social liberties runs two ways. There are the social liberties of, uh, of groups that may feel that uh, they've been at the bottom end of society, and I am the first to recognize that on the one hand. On the other hand, there are the social liberties that belong to people like myself, and I would say the three of you around the table, which are uh, the liberty to uh, walk in peace 24-7 around the streets of Toronto, which once upon a time we could do, and uh, today we would be loath to do, Sherry. Uh, yes, I understand that people are concerned. I, I just want to reiterate, and I, I said this directly to John Tory just a few days ago, and he agreed that we do live in one of the safest cities in the world. And I know we've had a spate of violence, and that's you know that doesn't make the folk who are affected feel any better. But it is a fact. I think where Carding is concerned, and I think you're right, um, absolutely, um, Peter, that uh, the, that that's one of the issues that he's alluding to in the throne speech. Um, it's proven that just uh, random carding doesn't help combat crime. We've seen the proof throughout American cities. Uh, the police still have the ability to use, uh, you know, checks with people where there's some suspicion of something happening. They still have that ability. I uh, have nothing but respect for our first responders. You know as well as I did, I brought in that bill to protect them um, from PTSD. Uh, that's not the issue here. I think the issue, as Kim said, is civil liberties. And he is going to have an uphill battle if he thinks that that's going to go over easily, especially among people of color in this city who have uh, really spoken out uh, against the practice of just random police checks because we know they're used uh, randomly, uh, <laughs> mainly for young black men between 17 and 24. Well, and I mean, so, okay. so, so has Desmond Cole, you know, but, but at this point, the visible minority is, is me. Oh, it's it's white people, and uh, and I've been stopped as well. So I'm not saying that things haven't been used in a in a negative way. Well, you are a bit suspicious. Um, well, of course I'm <laughs> suspicious, and I I'd be the first person to admit that. Now, Carleen Nation, let me go to you. Uh, I, I think that uh, the issue here is not carding; it's how you do what you do, and and somehow or other, like, I'm going to tell you a little story, and and you can react to it. I was on the air last week, and we had this discussion because uh, the the throne speech was coming, and uh, we were talking about the uh, the beating the summer of the gun and the number of murders, and uh, what came up was a call from uh, a, a police officer, and he said, "Look." We do uh, what is what is basically called a Fido half the time, which is F it, drive on. We, we don't bother with this stuff anymore because uh, we know what we're doing. We're trained to look at a person and recognize suspicious behavior. But if we can't do anything about it, we're not going to bother. Um, we're in uh, some challenging times right now. We've had, since January of this year, I believe I heard 200 incidents of shootings across the city. I think it's the highest we've had in a long time. I think we've had uh, 40 people shot, a number of well, people. Well, it's a large so, number so, of shootings. So, I can't give you those numbers, yeah, but it's 50-something so uh, murders. Yeah, so 50-something people murdered, mostly young black people, interestingly. And uh, we've had shootings involved where gangsters are opening fire 
uh, hitting children uh, on the playground, that sort of sit- situation. We are in uh, uh, a gang warfare situation. And Toronto, it's all over the city. It used to be in certain parts in some of the more challenged neighborhoods. Many of them I've lived in over the years uh, but now it's all over the city in nice, so-called nice parts of the city. We have a problem. Now, having said all of that, I would not, and most uh, people, most Ontarians, would not support uh, going back to what we have with this random stopping of uh, young black men in particular. I, my son is uh, one of these young people who is six foot five and uh, have been stopped on one or two occasions. So no one would support that. But at the end of the day, I do agree with Doug Ford in one sense that we've got to stop this hatred uh, and ginning up this hatred towards police. I've lived in neighborhoods where, thank God, uh, a police officer, when I was coming home one night at three in the morning, a police officer was there to stop six guys from cha- who were chasing me down. When I came home from my waitressing job so many 30-odd years ago, uh, I lived in neighborhoods where, yes, thank goodness the police were there. We, we see what happened in the Church Street area when police officers didn't have a strong presence in the neighborhood where you had all these murders being committed because there were very little police presence. We need the police officers. We've got to come up with a balanced approach that would give the officers the ability to do what they need to do, but without compromising people's rights. Well, then I'm going to stop you there because I've got to take a break, but I think that we can conclude from all of you that uh, there are issues that have to be confronted uh, about the way things used to be done, but there are equally issues that have to be confronted about the way things are done, and so we have to get details of what they have in mind, and we have to make sure that we contribute to what those details are, and I think that's the way we'll leave it. I have a couple of other, of other subjects I want to touch on before uh, the panel is gone for the day. Boy, the time goes by fast. 